Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Hi folks, Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. Before I get started though, I want to just say hi to Jeff who has uh, sent me a number of different uh, suggestions for shows. And also to my uh, niece's husband, Austin. He's also working on a show that I may be able to use on my podcast. Anyway, today I'm going to tell you about a, a man that I'm going to bet a lot of people have not heard about this guy. But he was in a, a pretty amazing guy. There was a Captain John Bork, a Medal of Honor recipient for gallantry in action during the Civil War Battle of Stones River, Tennessee. Well, Captain Bork recognized a fellow fight, fighting man when he described the Sierra Apache by the name of Alcacé, also known by other names including Swollen One. Now, Bork claimed this impressive young man was, quote, a marvel of physical endurance and manly beauty, a perfect figure, a mass of muscle and sinew, of wonderful courage, and as faithful as an Irish hound. He was also an advisor to Indian agents and to Grover, President Grover Cleveland. Now, he was related to a guy by the name of Chief Pedro, and his Indian name translates into angry he shakes something. So I don't know where that came from. Anyway, Alcacay uh, began life around 1850 on the upper north fork of Carrizo Creek in north central Arizona. He grew up among the Red Rock Strata clan in the CBQ Creek Valley near the town of today's White River. Little is known of his formative years, but he undoubtedly learned the survival skills of hunting, tracking, and warfare, and he mastered them well, and it served him well in later years, especially when, uh, 1871, when Lieutenant Colonel George Crook assumed command of the Department of Arizona. Now, George Crook, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Uh, from 1828 to 1890, he was a career United States Army officer, most noted for his distinguished service during the American Civil War and the Indian Wars. During the 1880s, the Apache nicknamed Crook Nantan Lupin, which means Chief Wolf. Now, on May 28, 1876, Brigadier General George Crook assumed direct command of the Bighorn and Yellowstone Expedition at Fort Fetterman. Now, he is probably more widely known for the Battle of the Rosebud in which he participated. In fact, historians debate whether Crook's pressing on could have prevented the killing of the five companies of the 7th Cavalry Regiment led by you-know-who, George Armstrong Custer, at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Well, after centuries of conflict, first with the Spaniards, then the Mexicans, and finally the white American settlers, the Apaches faced a determined enemy in the United States Army. Now, at first they held their own, but with Crook's arrival, the tide began to turn. Crook viewed the Apaches as what he called, quote, tenacious tigers who could only be brought to bay by unconventional, unconventional means, including the employment of Indian scouts. He maintained that to, quote, polish a diamond, one had to resort, resort to diamond dust. And I'm not quite sure what he meant by that, other than maybe felt like he had to crush the Apaches. Anyway, for this reason, he soon enlisted 44 Apache men from the White Mountain 
Aravapa and CBQ bands as key components in his operational plan. Now, these men, he contended, quote, understand thoroughly what is expected of them and know best how to do their work. Their best quality is their individuality. Now, among these enlisted were this Chief Pedro, a guy named Miguel Diablo, and the man we're talking about, Alcacay, another one, Peton, McCall, uh, Chiquito. But uh, there's one that we're going to talk about more so, and his name uh, was Naka Del Klein. But they ref- the whites referred to him as Bobby Decliney. Bobby DeClaney, something like that. And I'm going to be talking a a little bit more about him. Now, Bobby DeClaney uh, subsequently left scouting to become a religious healer, his beliefs eventually stirring up unrest that ended in the tragic Battle of CBQ. Now, uh, DeClaney was a respected CBQ Apache chief, medicine man, and was chief of the Cannon Creek Band of the CBQ Apache, a group of the Western Apache. <clears throat> he often counseled leading warriors such as Cochise and Geronimo. Now, this clash, however, was nearly a half a dozen years in the future, this battle of CBQ. So, for the present, Alcacay and his fellow scouts, commanded by 23rd U.S. Infantry Captain George M. Randall, with civilian scout Corridan Cooley, who was related to Alcacay through marriage and deployed alongside cavalrymen uh, with a vengeance. During the winter of 1872-73, Randall's strike force combed the countryside. On March 27, 1873, their efforts produced results. At At dawn, horse riders and scouts struck an Apache ranch at a place called Turret Mountain, taking the inhabitants by surprise. A short, sharp exchange ended with many of the villagers dead, some whom even hurled themselves off the cliff to avoid being captured. In fact, only 15 survived to be taken as prisoners. You see, folks, sometimes uh, Indians had the impression that the army would do terrible things, and sometimes they did, and they would rather uh, throw themselves off a cliff rather than be captured. Uh, Kind of a sad deal there, but anyway, just under a month later, on April 25th, 1873, Randall's soldiers fell upon another band, one led by a guy named Delche, whom Crook referred to as, quote, the liar. And again, not sure where that came from. Anyway, after locating Delche's camp near the headwaters of Canyon Creek, it took Randall only a few shots to convince the surrounded men, women, and children to give up rather than suffer the fate of the unfortunate group at Turret Mountain. And they reluctantly marched off to Camp Apache. Now, Crook enthusiastically wrote his superiors about the role played by the scouts. So on June 30th, 1873, he sought medals of honor for 10 of them. Now, more than two years passed before the War Department responded in the affirmative. Alcacay was among those prestigious men, all of whom had been cited for gallant conduct during the different campaigns against the, uh, the, the engagements with the Apaches during that winter of 1872-73. Now, here's an interesting note about Alcacay. Uh, bravery does not always co- coincide with perfect conduct. As the actions of Medal of Honor holder Alcacay attested. You see, a day after his uh, second of many enlistments, 
the now veteran scout decided he had business elsewhere. He disappeared. He just kind of left until September of 1873. Well, although he was listed as a deserter during his months of absence, Alcacé's volunteer surrender brought no actions. So he just came back when he got good and ready. Well, in line with Crook's rather fatherly views, the general recommended leniency for minor offenses committed by Indians. Well, word came from departmental headquarters that Alcacé was to be restored to duty without trial to serve out his enlistment as a private. Now, this incident of going AWOL did not seem to hurt Alcacé's military prospects because one long before he was appointed to be a sergeant, even after his kind of unauthorized uh, vacation from duty. Well, when under Crook's 1873 orders that each soul residing on the reservations be assigned an individual tag with a letter and a number identifying their band and themselves, sort of almost like a social security number in a way. Anyway, Chief Pedro's people were designated as Band A. Alcacay received Tag A-1. So clearly, government officials acknowledged that he was a pretty important guy at this stage. Nevertheless, as with uh, a lot of the, those confined to the reservation, there were peaks and valleys for Alcacay, but he managed to stay relatively away from serious problems for several years after he left the scouts. Now, that proved true until 1881, when former fellow scout Bobby Klein, you remember I mentioned him earlier, uh, shared his vision of a world without whites. He preached the resurrection of Apache dead, who, along with living, would drive out the white invaders. Now, his teachings were somewhat like the ghost dance that happened at Pine Ridge in 1890-91, a decade later and helped establish fears of an outbreak at the San Carlos Agency. Anyway, whether true or not, Crook's replacement in Arizona ordered Colonel Eugene A. Carr uh, to go at Fort Apache to send elements of the 6th U.S. Cavalry with the express purpose of either capturing or killing the prophesying holy man. In other words, Bobby Klein. Well, Carr obeyed, taking Bobby Klein into custody, Uh, This arrest provoked kind of a violent backlash. A number of Apaches attacked Carr's column as they headed back to the post. Well, during the firefight, some of the scouts went over to the Apache side. They kind of figured, okay, we're not going to keep fighting against our own. Anyway, when the fighting stopped, six of Carr's men were dead, as was Bobby Klein and an unknown number of his, his supporters. So returning to Fort Apache on August 13, 1881, the garrison withstood a brief attack before reinforcements arrived. In the aftermath, the U.S. government reacted by looking for ringleaders related to the outbreak and actions that took place afterwards. Well, this resulted in Alcacé's arrest and the execution of three scouts. Along with imprisonment of a few others, a state of affairs which lasted for several months. Finally, the October 24, 1882 edition of Tucson's Arizona Star reported the findings of a federal grand jury condemning conditions at San Carlos and the treatment of Alcacé and 10 of his fellow prisoners who were held in confinement by the Indian agent. 
for a period of 14 months without even presenting a charge against them. So once again, you know, here's a situation where they were held uh, without any reason, and it took over a year. Anyway, they their release followed, and Alcacer was back on the reservation after George Crook, who, who is now a brigadier general, again held the reins of the Department of Arizona. Now, making his fact-finding rounds, Crook included Fort Apache, where he talked with Alcacer and a bunch of others. The one-time scout and Chief Pedro both questioned Crook why military authority on the reservation had given way to civilians from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. This change eventually kind of ignited a bad deal, a powder keg of distrust and violence because of the mismanagement and dishonesty of the Indian agents. And they're ignoring the approach to whites encroaching on the reservation. And that is such a common theme. Um, you know, sometimes they were given really good uh, reservation areas, like up here in southern Idaho. They were given a very good reservation all along southern Idaho. But, of course, as the whites moved in, that reservation got smaller and smaller. And then you also had the mismanagement of some very dishonest Indian agents. Well... Airing his grievances along with those of many gathered there, Alcacer was content to, again, throw in his lot with Crook and the army. Remember, this is after he'd been put in jail for over a year. So in 1883, when the general headed into the wilds of the Sierra Madre in Mexico, Alcacer rode with the expedition, chasing Chiricahua Apaches accused of constant raids on both sides of the border. Again, this John Bork, who I mentioned earlier, noted Alcacer among those Indians who were, quote, all tired and true men, experienced in warfare, and devoted to the general whose standard they followed. Well, once more in 1885, Alcacer joined Crook for his march against Geronimo. And after months of rugged campaigning, Geronimo agreed to meet with Crook. So now here we are, March 22nd, 1885. The general dispatched Alcacer and a handful of scouts in advance to the designating meeting place where after his arrival, he assigned them another mission. Alcacer and another Indian called Cantina, a, uh, an Apache, who had opposed Crook in 1883, Crook wanted those two to go make talk with several of the prominent men among the Chiricahuas, and they were to speak for peace and abandonment of Geronimo if he persisted in fighting. So the next day, Crook met with these headmen along with Geronimo. One of them, Chief Chihuahua, concluded his long speech with the words, quote, I think a great deal of Alcacer and Cantina. They think a great deal of me. Then he expressed a wish that they could end the war and exist as friends and in brotherhood. Well, in due course, Geronimo had his say to Crook, ending with, quote, I surrender myself to you. I want now to let Alcacer and Cantina to speak a few words. Well, Cantina indicated that Alcacer would represent both of them, which he did with very few words. He urged Crook to hold no bad feelings toward his former foes. He indicated that they all wanted the general to be in charge of us and no one else. He said, you know me well. I have never told a lie, nor have you ever told me a lie. And now I tell you that this, these Chiricahua really want to do what is right 
and live in peace. Well, regrettably, uh, while Alcacé's words rang true, Geronimo and a small number of holdouts kind of reneged on the desire to stop the hostilities. They bolted, most probably to Alcacé's disappointment. He had pledged his honor on their behalf, something he took most seriously. It was not until September 1886 that the bloodshed did come to an end after a conference with Geronimo at a place called Skeleton Canyon. Well, having served faithfully, Alcacé left the scouts. He took up ranching near the North Fork of the White River. During the decades that followed, he made several trips to Washington, D.C. to meet with presidents and other officials as a champion for the rights of his people. He also advocated education, and he converted to Christianity. In the process, he developed a staunch friendship with Reverend Edgar Gunther and his family, family at the nearby Lutheran Mission. Well, toward the end of Alcacé's remarkable existence of nearly eight decades, the Holbrook News for October, October 20th, 1922, observed, quote, Alcacé is an old man, and he has seen great changes during his lifetime. And he, the, the article went on and said, quote, He is a man of remarkable character, and it is seldom you find one who can speak with equal sensitivity, uh, be they white or red. And asked once years ago what he thought of the rough country around Fort, Fort Apache, he said, uh, this is what Alcacé said, quote, Well, God made the country, so it's all right, but if the white men had it, we would never have forgiven him. Well, Alcacé died on August 6, 1928, at age 78. And that is just an amazing thing to live that long back in those days. A headstone in the White River Cemetery on the Fort Apache Reservation bears the image of a Medal of Honor, and it marks the grave of this remarkable role model. Now, arguably, the more fitting tribute than the one attesting to his valor is the high school that bears his name. Uh, His passion for education, his untiring efforts to benefit his people, and willingness to adapt uh, bespeak an extraordinary man for all seasons. So, folks, uh, I'm guessing that some of the people down that area obviously have heard of him. There's a high school named after him. But here's a man that I've got to say I had never heard of him. And yet, uh, to me, he has to be one of the most outstanding uh, Indians that uh, helped the whites but also helped his people. I would place him right up there with uh, Chief Joseph and some of the others. So that's the story of Chief Alcasey. And uh, I probably mispronounced a few of those. So, folks, if you have questions or suggestions, go to my webpage, dr-history.com. And if you kick on uh, podcasts, you'll see that there's about 330 other podcasts on there and also a place for comments. So don't hesitate to make suggestions. I'm always open for that. So once again, folks, thanks for listening.